Um, well, if you'd asked me this question 20 years ago, I'd have said you're the colouring <laughs> coloring in department. Yes. And, um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm not a Rockstar CMO, but this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my marketing career and share some street knowledge that will hopefully bring out a Rockstar in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 23rd of April, a beautiful week here at the Rockstar CMO Penthouse in London, and I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying the same as you feel you need to be. In today's show, Jeff Clark returns. We continue to discuss privacy. I meet Alex Lowe, who gives us a sales perspective on the sales and marketing relationship. And I again get transported away in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar to join my friend Robert Rose for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. I'm again joined by Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO Advisor and former Research Director for Serious Decisions and Forrester for our last look, for now anyway, at privacy, the marketer's dilemma. Hi Jeff, welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing fine. Happy, happy end of the week. Yes, absolutely. It's actually... Actually, Friday, not even through the magic of podcasting. We're actually doing it on the day before I release it tomorrow. So, yes, very fresh, hot, fresh (laughs) podcasting content. Still fresh. Well, your production uh, genius just, you know, bang. They all sound so good. (laughs) <laughs> especially the cocktails you have at the end it's kind of like oh geez are you the ice and the bubbly and, oh, it genuinely yeah. it genuinely happens um but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there is some and i'm recording i'm recording that with uh, robert later on today as well so it's a full day of well not a full day a couple of little segments here so all the content this week is very fresh now last week uh, we and as we continue with our series of privacy, the marketer's dilemma. Last week, uh, we were talking about, and I think this will be the last week we talk about privacy, right, Jeff? I think perhaps move on to something else next week. Yes, I'd like to keep the rest of my thoughts private, probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we're gonna um, last last week. What we were talking about was how building trust is an essential element of. Uh, the, the whole privacy debate, right, which is that people that trust us as brands, as organizations, are more likely to share their data with us, which informs our marketing makes the world a better place, right? Correct. So we know that's, that marketers are, we need the data, right? Um, and and we all talked about how, you know, people would trust their data to Apple and their iPhone more than they would to Facebook or something like that because of the track record they have around trust and the way they've built a brand around trust. So, uh, from our perspective, when, when we get somebody into that customer journey uh, as marketers, and specifically you and me have mostly worked in B2B, how, how do we get to that point? Because uh, we're not all Apple. 
Um, and my usual thing that I toss over to you when uh, when we have a hard topic to discuss. What say you, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I think one of the other things that we had um, covered uh, when we were talking about building trust was the role of content. And I think mm. that's, and you know, so we covered a lot of, you know, I think good points, but one of the complications was highlighted to me when um, I noticed that one of my colleagues back at Forrester Serious Decisions had, had um, announced that they had the, the latest version of their buying study. Um, mm. And just to give them a quick plug is they, they do on a regular basis. I can't remember if it's yearly or, or biannually. They do a um, basically a, a whole bunch of surveying to understand, um, you know, the size of buying teams, the journeys people take, and they do enough of a large um, sampling so that they can say, okay, in manufacturing or for these title, you know, in particular industries, particular titles, um, we can see what the the patterns are the number of interactions mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and, and that's one of the things I just remember is just, is, is really like it, it illustrates how complex a buying process is and how, yeah. how difficult it is when you think about, you know, everybody wants to get to, you know, the C, some C level person, CIO, yeah. CIO, CIO, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but you know, when you realize that they're on a team, a buying team, and they may have the ultimate decision, but they're on a buying team, you know, with, you know, a dozen other people and those dozen other people are going through all of their interactions. And, and some of them don't like doing things online. Some of them do mm-hmm. what they like doing, what they don't do. And, and, and um, you know, it just, it, it, it shows you how, complex the process is well, well the process over the last year uh you know whether it's due to the pandemic or it's just it's just as time marches on has has definitely gotten more complex and a couple of the 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 things that popped out was that now um 63 of purchases and this is in b2b are done by a buying group of four people or more um, right. that's up from 47 percent uh, a couple of years ago. So, so there's this trend, which is interesting, you know, being in, in pandemic and everything's virtual. It is a, so does that mean it's easier to sort of get some sort of group buying decision? Or does that mean there's, there's a sense of, we have to defray the risk by having more people involved? I mean, it's like how, I'm not exactly sure, and I don't think the study really teases out. So why why is that a? Uh, I think that's interesting because what I have heard um, in in a different context is that organisations are finding it weirdly easier to get people together to collaborate um, yeah. now that we're all virtual. So it's easier to put together a, a team of six people to review something for an hour when you're all on zoom across across the globe than it ever was when it all had to be done when when we were naturally traditionally doing it in person it certainly and it does break down the barriers because i know i've worked at a couple of companies that were very headquarter oriented so like if yeah. you're in the headquarter you're in the bubble or you're yeah. in the glass tower or whatever yeah, yeah. and it's like and then the, the tough thing is that the people in germany or wherever would always say ah those guys, you know yeah they make decisions on their own they never consult us yeah. And so you're right. Now it's a lot easier to bring in whatever the mm-hmm. the team is, and then that 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 wall between the headquarters and and outside just isn't quite as yeah as evident. The other thing was the the number of interactions people 
take, and this is for the in, an individual. So if you've got four people in a buying group, the number of average interactions each individual take is we go in from 17 to 27. So it, wow. it, it over the years, it was mm. kind of inching up, you know, up, you know, yeah. and, and, and 17 was for, I think for a while was kind of like a little magic number that you'd say, you realize that the average person mm. in a buying situation is doing 17 interactions. And what could those be? You know, the website, the, your downloads, your podcast, your webcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, just like, content, I, yeah, I mean, as a content marketer, I argue, I, I, the way I use that is they're interacting with 17 pieces of content or 15 or 16. Um, and, and that, that's, I I think that was the, was some of what we were saying last week, wasn't it? It's actually your content that's going to build trust. But part, and so this, which one of the things that leads to like the next part of the complicating factors is, is that sometimes that content, I mean, sometimes that content is literally something that somebody wrote or recorded or whatever, but sometimes Mm -hmm. it is an interaction with a person. Yeah. And that person needs to be in you know, armed mm-hmm. with content. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the other, the other thing that I, I you know, that, that came out of the recent kind of roundup of the study is that people are going everywhere. And this, this is probably nothing new. People are going everywhere hmm. for these interactions. You know, they're going to the webcasts and podcasts. They're going to um, certainly, you know, websites, but they're also talking to peers, industry yeah. experts. Yeah. And so, excuse me, and the ability to be, you know, interact more easily, it's probably easier to call up, you know, somebody, you know, from previous, you know, yeah. point in your career and say, Hey, I'm yeah. trying to solve this problem. And what have yeah. you run into? Yeah. So, um, it's funny on this show, I've got an interview with Alex Lowe coming up, uh, in the way that this show is sequenced, it comes up. Um, and, uh, but I've already recorded it just to ruin the magic of, <laughs> of <television>. <laughs> that, won't, that won't be as fresh <laughs> as this one will be. No, I recorded it yesterday and he was talking, he, and as the listener will hear, he talks from a sales perspective uh, about that, that, that very same topic, um, that, um, uh, that, that, that you were just saying about all the, the multiple touches and, um, and that, and that, and that then leads them to, you know, that that's what happens in the sale. Yeah. And, 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 and so from a, from a marketer's dilemma perspective, um, it's like, so if, if, if the customer and, and the various people in the buying group of the, at the customer prospect, um, if they're going to be talking to, you know, colleagues that may have listened to an influencer or if they're going yeah. to be talking to a sales rep or for some reason you've got somebody from services or support that's in contact with the client, the account, and it's like they're going to talk to them. So now my 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 content challenge is magnified by the number of yeah, exactly. people and the number of ways that the message needs to get out. Yeah. And 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 actually, you know, there's a there's a couple of companies that it's really, I've been dealing with, and you, you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, as kind of rockstar CMO clients who, mm-hmm. who that's like their big challenge. The big challenge is that what you, you've got all these people that are interacting with an account. Um, and in many cases they're existing customers. In some cases it's you're, you know, you're trying to put proposals together for, for a prospect, but you got lots of people in delivery, marketing, sales, sales, you know, pre-sales or whatever, who are going to have interactions and how do you make sure they're all talking? You know, if you're trying to build trust by talking to the needs of the organization, 
as opposed to just selling your wares or, or trolling them around the website, then, then how do you amass that set of content in a way that, that is effective, that's, that's, um, you know, is building trust because it's authentic. Yeah. Uh, and it's also something that if it's a sales rep or pre-sales or business development person, they can consume it so that they can relay it. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's what we were talking about last week was the fact that if we, if you make your content generous and useful, then people are going to trust it and they're going to feel a sense of reciprocation. If you've done something for them, they'll do something for you. Um, but what I think you're saying is, is that extends beyond where we would see the classic um, marketing buyer's journey, right? Is that right. we need to use that content to create advocates so that when somebody goes and gives them a call that they're, they're prepared and they, they still feel that they trust our brand and they would advocate for our brand. But also yeah. um, what you're saying there as well is, is that we, I mean, we've, I think we've talked about this before on the show is, is about the, the, the sale, the, the gap. The, the content gap when it comes to sales is that we focus a lot of our effort on on content in the marketing part end of the buyer's journey. But as soon the as things as, that we directly yeah. control. <laughs> yeah, but as soon as yeah, as soon as either a service rep, a business development rep, or an, a sales guy touches that customer, they're less well served because right. you know they're almost going on the website for themselves to figure out what the hell marketing's been talking about. <laughs> or I remember a campaign that we ran at our previous employer where mm-hmm. I think the theme that we were selling a product called campaigns and we had a campaign that said campaigns are dead. And it was, it was, it was meant to, you know, it was that thought leadership that was meant to provoke yeah. a response and go, what do you mean? And then you yeah. tell them yeah. how your product, Anyway, yeah. To cut a small, to cut a story short, is that people in sales were like, you know, WTF? What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) You're selling this thing, and you're saying, no, wait. And it's like, oh, but you know, then you got to explain it, and and it's like, oh, geez, you know, we 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 missed. And one of the things that you know, I don't know, I always talk about with clients at Serious Decisions is that sales enablement uh, or just enablement is like one of the key parts of a campaign. Yeah. It's like I've got my messages to the yeah. to the to to the, exactly. the the client and then I've got to you know package all these things up and say and here's why we and here's the data and yeah. our understanding of the client need is why we're saying this. So yeah. you so you get it so that you can translate it back and, yeah. and have confidence in it. Absolutely. And um I think one day well, I'll talk to somebody and when I ask them what they want to throw in the um, Rockstar CMO swimming pool, it's going to be that things are dead. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a marketing trope, isn't it? That you describe yeah. a thing as being dead and then rebuild it up and basically you're describing pretty much the same thing. It's I just think different we because you're redefining the category. I, I think we should just we should just jump ahead and throw in the pool right now. <laughs> <laughs> Something because it is, dead. It, it, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're straight. I mean, I love it that we stray because it's. Uh, I love talking about content anyway. But um, we strayed a little bit away from privacy in in, in so much as um, the 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 consumers' concerns and and the way that we need to build up this level of trust. And I think that what you've shared there about Forrester, I mean, those stats just, they, they get 
they, they, they increase every time. I mean, those, those Forrester stats, um, and I, I should rec- um, uh, capture a link from you so I can put it in sure. the show notes. But whenever you see stats about how many pieces of content somebody interacts with um, uh, prior, to a, prior to a buy, particularly in B2B, that just keeps going up and up and up, up doesn't and up, it? Every up time up those up reports up. come out. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, I think it relates back to privacy in that one of the things as a, as a marketer designing a campaign is you, you need to do is, you know, use the research you're getting. And obviously the research you're citing can help you with that, but to build out the, the, the watering holes, where mm-hmm. is, when I look at this persona or the couple of personas that are going to be involved in the buying process and I say, here's where they're going mm-hmm. for your information. Okay. Where can I post information mm-hmm. that is going to, um, you know, bring them to me or, or let them reveal themselves to me? Where, where do we think in the buying process that they will reveal themselves? Who will they reveal themselves to? You know, will they yeah. reveal themselves to the, the sales rep? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then you get the problem that if you're, if you're actually able to capture all of these interactions live and virtual uh, in, you know, in, in some you know, customer or contact data repository where, where you can say, okay, we can see, you know, where people have, um, have talked to sales, where they've been looking at our marketing, where they've looked at third party sites, where they've, you know, they explicitly say they talk to analysts. Okay. So now we need to think about who are those analysts that they're going to talk to because they're going to reveal themselves to the analysts easily without thinking that it's like, well, this guy's going to try to sell me something. So, mm-hmm. so now I, I'm, I'm painting a picture of where I can plant my content or, and yeah. or arm the people who are going to be interacting with them mm-hmm. and, and, um, yeah, and not worrying about the fact that, that I, they have to fill out a form on my website in order for me to figure out who the heck they are. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. So that's an, that, so looking at the um, broader, uh, content ecosystem of where we can plant bylines, where we can do advertorials, um, which influencers we need to influence, which analysts we need to analyst. <laughs> we need to analyze. Well, and you know, and we, I mean, we've all done that to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. but, but the, I, I think the, the thing is the challenge gets harder and harder and harder. And so it, it, it requires a little bit more orchestration on mm-hmm. the, on the part of the people who are putting the campaigns together. Yeah. There's a little bit more orchestration to figure out um, what all those touch points are going to be. And at least, you know, um, make sure you can, you can influence as many touch points mm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Not that you can influence them all. I mean, it's, that's the thing with a, w- w- when you design the campaign, I mean, you can't say we're going to be everywhere because you just can't be everywhere, but you can mm-hmm. certainly say, here's the places we think we can have an influence that are, that are important to the prospect or customer. Yeah. And then I think, because the way I'm thinking then when you say that is when we choose the channels that we go to and we choose where we're going to put our bylines and editorials and stuff, we always say, we're always like, um, we need the data to make that choice. Right. So I think if we screw this up, then we're never, you know, if we do, if we do start to nurture one of these channels, we need to treat it with respect because, um, all of this data is going to be taken away from us, right? If we continue this on this, path. <laughs> they're going to take so, our toys away. Exactly. So yeah. I think that's where I, go, I think that's a good place to round it up. That we round up our privacy, uh, the Marx's dilemma conversation. That is that you know we've been trusted with a nice thing. Let's let's treat it nice and treat it with respect, and not ruin it. Otherwise, we're flying blind. Yes. 
Absolutely. And I do have a music choice. I should have mentioned oh, cool. this before we even got yeah, on. It's good. But since we were talking about buyer journeys, yeah. journeys, I thought of Journey <laughs> and, the, and the song Any Way You Want It. <laughs> I don't which, really know Journey very well. A, which has a, you know, it's an American yes. disco 80s, oh. 90s band, rock, yeah. Yeah, you know, All right. wearing guitars. But, but it's the, yeah, I mean, it's like we should be looking to the prospect and customer and say, any way you want it. Any way you want it. All right. Well, I'm going to um, flick through our virtual record box and pluck that tune out. <laughs> I, see we'll the album, out I see that. the album behind you. Stick <laughs> <laughs> that in. Thank you very much, Jeff. And um, I will pick up on a different topic next week. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Cheers, mate. Any way Cheers. you want it, that's the way you need it. And of course, as soon as I Googled Journey any way you want it, I had heard it. A classic rock track from 1980. I can't deny Jeff's choice based on the relevance of the title and the band name. Even if at this rate, I'll be publishing this show on an eight track. If you don't know what an eight track is, kids, you best Google it. I will, of course, include links to Jeff in the show notes and you can find those at rockstarcmo.fm. On to my guest interview. We talk a lot on the show about the relationship between marketing and sales. And Alexander Lowe has over 15 years business development experience working within professional services, formerly of PwC, Berman, Leighton, Paisner and JLL. He has spent the last four years consulting back into the industry, helping sales and marketing teams understand how to build social media and the behavior changes required into their go to market strategy. Recently, he joined good friend of the show, Kate Bradley Chernis at Lately, an AI driven content creator scheduling and amplification technology company where he heads up their enterprise business i hope you enjoy this conversation hello alex welcome to rockstar cmo fm how are you I'm very well, Ian. It's uh, whatever time of day it is on, I think, a Thursday <laughs> in 2021 yeah. at some, some point of the year. I'm very good. <laughs> well, I know it's morning because I'm actually talking to a fellow Brit. So normally I'm recording these in the afternoon because I'm usually talking to Americans. So so it's a, it's a bright, sunny morning here in the UK. Uh, so uh, that's fabulous. Um, so, Alex, uh, I, I did a little bit of a bio before we started, but um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what is it you do? Uh, about a little bit about myself. Where do we where do we start? So my background is sales through and through. Um, started out for those UK listeners driving Mini One Three Two around Central London for my sins. Um, then decided I'd get a proper job. I fell into recruitment for five years, which um, introduced me to the world of LinkedIn. Um, then left mm-hmm. recruitment, and then I was PwC. Um, so law, so accounting, PwC, law, um, BLP, commercial real estate, JLL. And then for the last four and a half years, I've been consulting back into um, industry, helping um, organizations understand how to use this thing called social media in a sales and marketing context to generate pipeline opportunity. Yeah, I've heard of that social media thing. And particularly, I think, uh, to, to make the segue, is you've recently joined uh, Kate Bradley Chernis at Lately. She's a 
I think I can. I think it's fair to say she's a friend of Rockstar CMO. I've had her on the show. She's uh, she's written for us on the on the publication. I've interviewed her a few times. A force of nature. I think we can both agree. She, she um, is so, a, a force of nature and a you know and a rock star to boot as well. So genuinely, I know, I know, you know it's a great story. And I think she might have been one of the first people because when I'm interviewing people for the show, I, I often find people in marketing have got musical background, but she hers her credentials are top notch, aren't they? As a former DJ. Yeah, um, totally listeners, incredible. Yeah, yeah. And um, so you've recently joined um, lately. Um, mm-hmm. What's what's your role there? What are, what are you doing with them? So um, I was a client of theirs for um, uh, for six months. So really got mm-hmm. into the, the nuts and bolts of what they what they do. And um, Kate started talking to me towards the end of last year saying you know what are your thoughts you want to come on board um you know we're six years into uh, into into the business just hit a million dollars arr and um would love to bring you on board to help us kind of build the the, the vision and take us <laughs> into uh, you know into the stratosphere and the problem they solve is the problem of getting organizations to create unique social media posts at scale mm-hmm. by saving you saving you time and looking back at my four years of consulting into industry, <laughs> you know, getting people to do the do is the hardest thing. Yeah, and yeah. I looked at it and went, yeah, I can't not, yeah. I can't not um, do this. And she's an awesome human being. Her team are amazing. And the product yeah. just, you know, st- yeah, in my yeah. view, stands head and shoulders above anything else that's out there at the moment. So, so yeah, I'm yeah. a month, month into the whirlwind of Kate's world. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, I mean, it's always hard to um, balance um, when I'm chatting to people about, I don't want to make things too much of a sales pitch, but I think lately is, um, you know, it, the, the artificial intelligence is the key thing, isn't it? To, to yeah. Lately. And I think that's a hot topic in marketing right now is how do you, how do you make your life as a marketer more efficient through using artificial intelligence? And there's a lot of bullshit being said about artificial yeah. intelligence, but what, so just explain what that bit is inside lately that, and why is it that it, it helps people so much with social media? So um, as we all know, or we all should all know, when you create content, you want to get that content to work really hard for you, Yeah, which is creating so unique social media posts, be it written, audio, or video. So Lately does that for you, which is incredible when you see it in action. But then the, the clever kind of secret sauce, if, if you will, is that Kate's built-in um, AI, which then starts to look at what phrases, content, words Mm-hmm. is performing best in terms of engagement across your social channels. So you, it then starts to learn, hey, these words, these phrases are working really well. Should mm-hmm. we include them in the next social media post we create from your, your content? And can start mm-hmm. to guide you to write copy, which is then going to get the best engagement that you get. And the, also the clever thing is, is that when you plug in your social channels, whatever they are, it looks back up to 12 months. So it looked mm-hmm. historically in terms of starting to build that to build that um, engine. But like with any AI, you <laughs> actually have to teach it. Yeah. And if you don't teach it, then you know it can't you won't get the best out of the um, the best out of the tools. So but the key thing around what we do is it's what Kate refers to taking an American expression, getting you to third base. So mm-hmm. it does the hard yards to give you a brilliant foundation to work off. And then you add the final kind of human touch, the finesse, if you will. And then you can get your content to work much, much harder for you, but get analytics to understand what is working and what isn't working. 
Mm, yeah, I use it myself. So um, it's it, yeah, it's, it's a really good tool. And, and like I say, um, not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> not, not <laughs> like, just <laughs> it's just it's just a good product. And and where where will people find the product? It's uh, lately lately AI. Lately.ai. Excellent. So that's lately. Now, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to chat to you, and I like to get salespeople on the show. This is a marketing podcast after all, and it's always good to to um, dip over to your dark side and find out what makes you people tick. Um, <laughs> and you've got this great career in sales. Um, and we frequently discuss the relationship between sales and marketing. And often, often people talk about, you know, the silos and that we need to reach out across the halls and yeah. where BDR should sit, whether it should sit in sales, whether it should sit in marketing. Mm-hmm. From, from a sales perspective, how do you view the marketing relationship? Um, well, if you'd asked me this question 20 years ago, I'd have said you're the colouring <laughs> colouring in department. Yes. <laughs> and, and, um, I'm glad you said 20 you years ago. I think <laughs> people still think you, like that. You wouldn't have had a job. Um, mm. But in all seriousness, if you look at the way, if you look at what's happened over the last certainly five years or so, you know, there's rise of this concept of social selling. I hate, I hate the term social selling, mm-hmm. which is sales and marketing of the 21st century. But sales and marketing now have to fundamentally work hand in glove um, yeah. because of the, the way the world is going in terms of the creator world content. If you look at research from, I think it's Forrester is saying that uh, 60% of a recent survey, they did 60% of the respondents of a recent survey, they did saying that vendor um, buyers can now shortlist their vendors just purely from digital content. True. Yeah, um, yeah. Gartner's saying that if you, 44% of millennials, millennial buyers now don't even want to talk to a salesperson. No. So content and your messaging is absolutely critical. So sales yeah. need to start talking to marketing to talk about what's happening in the coalface. Marketing now needs to start talking to sales to go, because there's the whole tension between SQL and, and MQL. Yeah. And I believe part of the reason is there's a big tension between what, uh, how uh, marketing teams and marketing leaders are KPI driven doesn't tie in with how sales teams are um, KPI driven. So it right. requires a fundamental reset of in my view, the entire kind of process. Um, yeah. So where do you yeah. sit on that? Because I mean, I've been in this business for a long time and you're always having that discussion of what the definition of an MQL is and then what the definition of an SQL is. So when you're talking to clients and you're, you're advising them, how do you help them sort of decide on that? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, it's kind of <laughs> it's unfair, impossible it? really, because everybody <laughs> has their own, their, their own opinion. And if you, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you accept the research from again, you know, uh, CEB as was before they were acquired by Gartner, and this was like five yeah. years ago, six years, six years ago, that sixty, seventy percent of the buying journey is kind of done before you mm-hmm. even, you even know it. And my, my view is, it's it's we should scrap both. Yeah, we just a qualified lead, which is based on your understanding of your historical deal cycles from start mm-hmm. to finish. And when does that opportunity become a into CRM system uh-huh. qualified? Yeah, yeah. This is worth a hundred thousand dollars at ten percent. Then you yeah. start to move that through. How right. that person got to that point 
is then yeah. I suppose we're now looking at the world of customer orchestration. So HubSpot mm-hmm. announced they're going mm-hmm. and moving to the customer orchestration space. Mm-hmm. This is what Forrester, so a guy called Seth Mars on um, uh, M-A-R-R-S on LinkedIn is now authoring this. So what they mm-hmm. call dynamic guided selling. Mm-hmm. So this is the concept of using outside third-party data, your own marketing data, your own sales data, all smashed together so that fundamentally we're now going to where the customer is rather than where the customer was. And right. the challenge is we've all been looking at stuff historically yeah. rather than now looking you know, forward. You know, I've been on a few other podcasts with some CX specialists in this space, and they say yeah. what COVID has done is actually, and it's across both B2C and B2B, has rendered yeah. historical data useless yeah because we're now buying very very differently so yeah this is actually where we need to be is actually looking at our sales data our marketing data the boring stuff as seth refers to it um mm-hmm. and feel free to listen to my my podcast on, on <laughs> i'm always promoting other people's podcasts yeah. on, on the show. Um, so th- th- it and that's called death for salesmen right yeah yeah, um, but I, if you look at me today, you know, before joining lately, I, I was my, running my, my my consulting business, yeah. and I had to become a marketing. I had to become a marketeer, mm-hmm. marketer. I had to understand how to create content. I, had, you know, using I can use mm-hmm. Canva now. It's insane. You know, I'm editing my <laughs> editing my own videos. I'm editing my own podcasts. You know, which yeah. in a large organization that would have been done by you know some, done by somebody else. Some of the yeah. you know some of the sales people I'm seeing out online now are creating incredible video content, written content yeah. themselves because yeah. their sales leaders understand the new world order right. and allow them to do it because it's, it generates business yeah, opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, we're, so it's it's really like a merging of the, of the, yeah. of the two disciplines, really. And then you're saying that that MQ, MQ to SQL step, that sort of handoff, is irrelevant anymore. Yeah. It's pe- people are going to move up and down that journey, and yeah. sometimes they're going to engage with sales, and sometimes with, with with marketing. But we've all got to be consistently delivering that content out, and at some point they'll drop and yeah. they'll become. You know, they'll need to speak to somebody if it's an enterprise sales deal. Yeah. But like you said, the other thing I've I um, we were having having I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about the fact that people actually like you were saying they form a lot of their opinion before they even enter the journey as you would define it as a particularly in B2B because they're just looking to reinforce their point of view. They form this point of view with all the research, probably over months or years about what they think about your brand and and company. Um, Where where do you think then we we fit into that? Because people aren't entering the journey like an awareness phase of, ooh, what can help me with my problem? They've already gone, well, I know that SAP probably do something in this and and these guys do something in this. And then are they then – and then, then looking to reinforce that point of view. Is that, is that something you subscribe to and, and how you help folks with? If I made a question out of that. Again, it's such a huge, it's such a huge topic because again, it's, yeah. it's horses. For, it depends on markets. It depends on industries. It depends on mm-hmm. a, a lot of things. But if we focus kind of on, on our world in terms of, you know, big corporates, most people know people or it's referrals. Yeah. Lazy. So, yeah. you know, I refer someone to you go, well, because Alex has referred them to me, they must be half decent. And it's also the other point. If someone says, I'm thinking of changing my CRM system, they never say go and talk yeah. to Microsoft. They say go and talk to Bob or Sally. Yeah. Or Jim. Yeah, yeah. I was recording a podcast yesterday, a guy called Jim Bloomfield, and he said, rather than people buy from people, let people be people. Yeah. So it's around yeah. this um, 
I want to trust you as an individual that you're not going to kind of screw me over. And again, mm-hmm. it comes to the tension of sales in terms of the way the sales are KPI'd and, and, and so on. But for me, it's also this, this, this kind of phrase I heard the other day, the experience economy. Mm-hmm. If you think about what's happened over the last 12, 15 months in terms of um, every single touch point with your brand will create mm-hmm. an experience. Yeah. And it's our interpretation of that experience. Yeah. So whether that's talking to you or me as an individual or your brand that you work for as, you know, on, in your day job, um, yeah. or lately or Microsoft or whoever, if that, if it's a digital touch point, if it's a phone call, if it's an email, yeah. if that's not a good, if that experience isn't as good as a previous yeah. experience you've, else, you've, you've experienced else where that yeah. will also start to drive your kind of buying thinking because we buy emotionally we do absolutely we fundamentally buy emotionally over and above necessarily the kind of the, the, the thoughts <laughs> um uh, behind it and, and that's proven yeah. and that's why organizations that start to look at that and that's why you know journey customer journey customer orchestration i think is going to be really interesting in the b2b space so thunderhead is one of the biggies yeah. in this uh, in, in this in this place analyzing mm-hmm. every single touch point that you have with somebody through, yeah. through the entire life cycle of the journey that's the other thing we yeah. seem to forget is that once somebody becomes a customer they're still mm-hmm. experiencing absolutely engaging with you via chatbot, humans, phone, yeah. this way, face yeah. to face, and we seem to yeah, yeah. lose that side of things as yeah. as well. So for me, it, it, it is it's and a that part, of everything actually. It is a reinvention of everything. Yeah, and that part is important of of how we market to customers in building that referral and advocacy program that you talked about just now is. Um, you know, Bob that they're talking to about their CRM um, challenge is only going to talk about his current experience of his CRM. He's not going to talk about that moment when he was absolutely delighted with his decision to buy his CRM. It's going to be three years later when, it, when people are having a go at him that the bloody thing doesn't work, right? So, yeah, that, that's, that, that's an excellent point. Thank you very much for your sales point of view on marketing. I think there's so much there we could have covered and, and yeah. dig into. I'll have to have you back on the show and we'll have to pick up on some of those things. I want to get to our final question, looking at the time. We have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO, the swim pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we chuck all the snake oil bs overhyped trends what would you throw into our swim pool oh my god i mean <laughs> i'm where to start i think the i think ai obviously is is a very yes. broad um subject I remember <laughs> thinking, you know, even though i work for an ai company as as, as yeah. you um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think there was a survey the other a couple of last year from seventy percent of companies in Europe who said they use AI don't actually use AI. Um, so I think AI. I think I think the biggest mm-hmm. thing for me is technology is going to solve the problem. Yeah, it's that it's that thing that you buy this piece of tech, it's going to solve all your problems. It's it's not. And you look no. at the you know if you follow Scott Brinker, you know the Martech yeah, yeah, landscape yeah. is just insane. Yeah. And you know what he he authored a piece the other the other day where he's saying actually marketing teams are buying more and more martech but having to do more manual jobs, mm-hmm. not saving them the time they thought it was because there's no mm-hmm. integration. So mm-hmm. my view is let's let's throw let's let's stop the snake oil of technology is going to solve the solve the problem. Yeah. It's actually it's the it's the boring stuff. It's the people process stuff. 
If you don't yeah. start to look at that, then the technology yeah. is never going to solve the thing. So let's <laughs> technology is not the panacea. It's part yeah. of it, but it's not the totality. I think that, and that's certainly come through. I mean, it's funny. Every time I talk to somebody who works for a marketing technology company, they all want to throw technology in because we all know, right? And we all know that the technology, um, you, 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 I mean, I've, I've worked in, in, in MarTech for 20 odd years from content management, any kind of solution. And you know that when you step, and I've been, I've been in sales, professional services, and I've been an analyst and stuff. And you know that what you look at an organization, you think, the technology isn't going to solve your problems. Yeah. I'll sell you it. It's part, our, it's part of our qualification process at Lady. We tell yeah. people no, even if they want yeah. it. We say, with the greatest respect in the world, Excellent. this isn't going to work for, for you and us as an organization. I'd far rather not take your money and then you in yeah. three months' time phone up going, this isn't working, I haven't got time, it's not doing what I want to do. Because yeah, yeah. we we know what we can do, but we also know what, the human being needs to do in order yeah. to get the best out of our products. And for some people, that does require a change in process and thinking in order to yeah. get the best out of the, the products. And that's you know, to yeah. your point when you said CRM systems don't work. CRM systems are dumb, inanimate objects. How can a CRM yeah. system not work? <laughs> it's, the, it's the bigger picture in terms of what am I trying to do with this and how can this tool help me achieve yeah, the outcomes yeah, yeah. I'm trying to achieve? Yeah, yeah. And and like you were saying just a little while ago, I mean, if you've got a fundamental issue about the understanding of what an MQL and SQL is, automating that process isn't going to help if you haven't got the relationships with your sales team. Yeah, yeah. No, that's perfect. Well, thank you very much, Alex. And um, when listeners dial the spin the dial on the interwebs, where would they find you? They find me everywhere. I mean, LinkedIn, Twitter, <laughs> that's true. LinkedIn, Twitter Facebook, Insta, TikTok. Um, genuinely, I'm on TikTok. Um, so I want to wow, I think you one. might be the first guest I've had that's actually on TikTok, apart from maybe El Michelle Smith. But yeah, I think you're the first, so we'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Alex. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers, mate. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Splendid. Thank you, Alex. We have a lot of tech that is clogging up the Rockstar CMO swimming pool filter. And although my career has been spent with B2B marketing technology vendors, I completely agree. It doesn't solve problems by itself. Right. It's a special trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar this week, as it's the 50th time we've been transported away with a cocktail and a content marketing thought with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's uh, it's really nice to see you here. It, you know, it's almost like we do this once a week or something. It, uh, yeah, it certainly <laughs> it's feels like that. I'm a bit of a tradition. <laughs> um, do you know this is our 50th time? How many? 50. Yeah, um, because we started five, zero? nine. Yeah, we started in episode nine, and this week it's episode 59. I can't believe it. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think uh, on that note, um, mm-hmm. this week's uh, cocktail will be uh, will be very ap- uh, apropos of such. Um, you know, it, it's one of those weeks. I don't know if you've had one of these weeks where you feel like you didn't get any one big thing done, but you got a jillion little things done. 
Oh, nice. Um, yeah. And, um, well, I don't know how nice it is. You, you don't feel like you accomplished much, but sure. you certainly did do a lot. Um, and I'm calling this uh, this week's cocktail the Calm, Cool, and Collected, um, which just means you take some deep breaths and you drink one of these, Calm, Cool, and Collected, and, you know, the, the week's problems go away <laughs> for some reason. Sounds- I'm not really quite sure. Um, anyway, you get uh, a nice reposado tequila, as you might expect mm-hmm. me to say. Um, yes. I got some cu- cucumber infused water um, and a little squeeze of mint, a little cayenne pepper and a little lime. And it's just a very refreshing, wonderful cocktail. That sound, it sounds very nice. Um, and as we have done for the 50th time, I shall attempt to make one of your cocktails using the ingredients of my desktop bar, uh, which I have here. Um, I, you may be very surprised to learn this. Do not have a reposado in front of me, but I do have Bombay <laughs> Sapphire Gin. I, well, so, yes, I, I am not surprised that you have gin. My hope is, is that your gin is not the... <laughs> crap that you've <laughs> you did that one. drinking did you um did you put ice in that i did i did put ice in this yes right. it's a lovely it's a lovely spring drink nice. especially if you're in a situation where it's a little warmer than it has been all right so i'm gonna put a bit of gin in there good and this is amazing but i think this might be the closest we've ever been on one of these cocktails because i am going to put in some flavored water Is it cucumber infused? It is cucumber infused. Well, that's fantastic news. Yes. So let me just. uh, This would actually be good with gin too. This, if you maybe maybe I'd skip the cayenne pepper, but but otherwise, a little cucumber Mm. infused water, some mint, and lime would be a really nice, um, a really nice way to do a, a gin and tonic. Oh, that's well. Whatever you put in it, Robert. It's delicious. I could uh, I could definitely drink these every week for 50 weeks straight, my friend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's it's yeah, weird weird if we're not drunk by now then it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, I had somebody comment about the sound effects of my desktop bar. Oh, um, nice. Listeners need to be reassured. That is actually me pouring a drink. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's Friday night there, so you you, yeah, you deserve not, one. It, this isn't radio. I mean, this isn't uh, you know the magic of radio. It's actually really happening. And it, so we we're sipping these delicious drinks. Uh, and um, and uh, sorry, what did you call yours? I called Ours? it a calm, cool, and collected. Man, I'm having that. So where would we be drinking a calm, cool, and collected? Well, I think we need some place where we can be calm, cool, and collected. So the beach comes mm-hmm. to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've been very much enjoying... Uh, I've We've done a couple of little travel trips up to the northern coast of here in mm-hmm. California. So, and not north, I, I should be clear, not the northern coast of California, more the central northern coast, um, which is what they typically call Big Sur here in California. Oh, yeah. And um, it's just a beautiful, wonderful place. And this time of year uh, is particularly great because it hasn't gotten hot, um, Mm -hmm. but nor is it the sort of always cold and gray sort of weathering heights type of weather that you typically see on Big Sur. So uh, it's really, really just a spectacular weather and 
um, sitting on there's there's some great coastal restaurants there that I think we could probably find a good calm cool and collected drink on I love, I love that. Now, that our tradition is, I mean, the reason, I mean, this is a podcast started in lockdown and this virtual bar is to transport us to these wonderful places. And hopefully soon we can actually go. I know you can go there, but I, I look forward to, to making that. Well, we can go trip. and sit outside right now. We can't go and sit inside, but, but it's, uh, okay. it's getting there. It's getting there. Nice. Every week now. gets us closer. Yeah, we could, I actually sat outside and, uh, and had a glass of wine that somebody else poured. <laughs> <laughs> ah, very so nice. <laughs> anyway, so um, we're, we're sitting with, we're sitting outside, very safe, uh, sipping these drinks. What are we talking about? Well, I have to tell you, it was a presentation that I saw last week that sort of set me off. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, so one of the first things that we get uh, asked is what kind of content should we create, right? And mm-hmm. and it, you know, and quite frankly, it's either marketing content or content marketing, depending on your point of view on the world. Um, the question is, well, what should we write? What should we create? And so, you know, we tend to start to get all fancy with our solutions and our big ideas and and all that sort of thing. But one of the things that I notice a lot is that we tend to try and figure out what our audience will want. I mean, because that's the obvious answer, right? Well, what should we create? Well, what does the audience want, right? Or yeah. what does the audience need? Yeah. And interestingly, um, my I had a client going through uh, a, a review of SEO agencies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that has really started to become true in SEO agencies is how much they're getting into the creation of content marketing platforms and content as a service, as an, you know, basically an accessory to what you could buy from their SEO uh, service. It's it's interesting. I saw a presentation yesterday from an SEO agent, a performance marketing agency that I've used many times. Well, Um, and and I could see the evolution of their story is that the, the importance of the quality of the content. And I'll be curious to see if it matches. So I sat through three SEO yeah. consultants proposing topics yeah. for this client to yeah. do a new content marketing magazine. Oh, um, wow. And, you know, so all three of them came back and they had PowerPoint presentations and all of them said varying degrees of the exact same thing. And the presentation went a little like this. Hey, we did some research. Your target audience searches Google X amount of times. Mm-hmm. Here are the top 10 most popular search terms. Yeah. Then next slide. Here are the terms they're searching for that your company cares about. Here's what they're finding. And here's not, here's what they're not finding. Like some gap you could fill. Conclusion, mm-hmm. number of searches you care about is relatively low. Conclusion number two, number of answers for the competition for the terms that you do care about is relatively high. Recommendation, create content about the terms your company cares about. And if you want help, we can provide this content basically mm-hmm. become the FAQ of your, you know, industry. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I'm don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to degrade the work that a lot of SEO companies do. Cause it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, in some cases it's magic to me. I mean, the amount yeah. of true work and absolute um, value that they provide. Yeah. But this approach to content creation and assumptions about what audiences want gives you what I call a yab, which is yet another blog. Um, and, and it just, you know, tries to focus us on new and different ways to say 
and answer the same question that everybody else is answering. And search traffic as a data point is only one data point in determining the kind of content you want to create. And, you know, looking as I like to say, you've seen this, um, you've seen this meme that's going around about the World War II airplane. Mm hmm. You, you know what I'm talking oh, about? The one there? that's been shot. Yes. The one that's been shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a yeah, good yeah. example of survivorship yeah. virus where basically they yeah. say, hey, you know, you need to strengthen where the bullet holes are. And the statistician yeah. says, no, 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 you don't. You need to basically, yeah. you know, fix where the, they're not bullet holes because those are the planes that aren't coming back. Yeah. And to me, that's exactly what trying to determine what content we should create based only on the search yeah. uh, quantity and, and traffic is because what you're not capturing is are, are all the things that people aren't either asking <laughs> that they yeah. don't know to ask or yes. that they need and don't know how to ask or that they're asking and not finding very much you know about. So therefore, stop asking. Yes. And you can't know the social or emotional context of your audience's needs by looking at what they're finding or not finding on Google. Mm-hmm. You can only tell whether a topic is popular or it's well covered. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. And there are so many more attributes that we need to look at other than yeah. search volume. And yeah. that so in other words, it, it's it's do the work, do the work in yeah, trying yeah. to reach and understand them as people yeah. and where they're, you know, where they're actually not searching. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, in, from the jobs to be done framework, this is often called the job that isn't done. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and yeah. and basically, you know, figure out where that is and, and go fill that hole. And that might just be a better place to focus. That's what I've been thinking about this week. Yeah, no, I think, and that's a, that's a, that's a great thought. And I do like that, that, um, World War II airplane, um, story. So, so, so good. Um, and actually just to round off what I mentioned about the performance marketing agency that, um, I saw this week, they, what they were actually saying was, um, slightly different, which was that it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm really, really distilling it down. But what they were basically saying was the value of content that, you know, your performance marketing, your SEO and your PPC and, and any um, paid paid work you do has to be supported by a good content strategy. And no amount of buying keywords is going to solve the fact that you don't have very good content was, you know, maybe that's what I read into the slides. <laughs> but right. That's certainly, you know, what I, what I saw and what they were saying was that, um, you know, content, um, content and those kinds of activities fall hand in hand, which kind of sounds like it elevates content a little higher than the presentations you were seeing, which was do your Google search research and then drive your content strategy on the basis of that. Yeah, I think, you know, for sure. Absolutely. And, and use that information. I mean, I'm not suggesting that search volume and search, um, you know, trends Mm. shouldn't influence some of what we create. Um, I'm just saying it shouldn't be the only thing that influences what we create because the net result of that, and I've just watched it happen so many times, the net result of, of, of using search influence to, to only drive what it is. We, we create our editorial strategy around, you just end up trying to, you know, I mean, you're either trying to do it in a better way for those heavy, you know, Mm -hmm. and very competitive search terms. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to, in some way, battle it out for relevance with everybody else that's answered some question. 
in a very or two, room. Yeah. you are trying to fill a gap of what's not being found by what you know high search volume, low click through, where basically people aren't finding satisfying answers. So you're yeah. trying to fill that gap. Yeah. But what the assumption is in both of those things is that people are asking, yeah. right? That that people yeah. know what to ask. It, it, yeah, it's like yeah. imagine trying to build in 2007 if Apple had used search volume around smartphones to determine yeah. whether they should build an iPhone or not, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 they would have looked at it and went, oh no, this is you know we just need to we just need to yeah. make better phones, I guess. Yeah, and then relate. I know um, uh, you got to run in a sec, but um, that also relates to a couple of things. One is is um, I'd love to talk to you about intent marketing one of these days. But the other one is is the point you were making a number of shows ago about the, the fact that thought leadership has to be leadership. Yeah, that's like, right. It's, it's that right. same thing. By isn't default, it? it's leadership and shouldn't be. Yeah, the most popular thing out there, right? Yeah, and that's as content marketers, we need to look to. Um, answers answer questions that maybe people aren't asking yet. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. It is yeah. it is in many ways going where everybody isn't, right? Yeah. And 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 figuring out a way because look, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a unique opinion because there are there are good solutions out there for you know challenging problems that we will agree with, mm-hmm. but it's figuring out how do we address that problem in a unique way and. Mm-hmm looking at how we would comply with search terms is often the worst way to look at that. Mm, absolutely. Well, that's excellent. And um, where will people find thoughts like this from you, my friend? They'll find it on our little hovel on the web, which is at mm-hmm. contentadvisory.net, which is definitely not search engine optimized. <laughs> and when they spin the dial on the interwebs and they're looking for you specifically, Robert, where will they find you? Well, that would be at Robert underscore Rose on the lovely Twitter um, and it would be with a quick search on LinkedIn and probably uh, an empty uh, feeling if you try to find me on Clubhouse. <laughs> we can't go an episode without mentioning Clubhouse. I, I'm, That's right. I'm still with you on that. I've, I've just sort of, it's become a bit of a bumper sticker theme for me now. So I, I figured I'd, I've earned it. So I'll stick with it. Yeah, yeah. All right, mate. Well, um, will I see you in the bar next week? You will indeed. I look forward to it, my friend. See you then. All right, cheers. Thank you, Robert. 50 trips to the bar, and I'm very grateful that he's given so much of his time. And maybe after 50 weeks of sterling service, I should retire that gin and tonic joke. Or maybe not. Please let us know what you think, especially if you like the segment. As you heard, Robert is Robert underscore Rose on Twitter, and we're Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. So... That's a wrap on episode 59 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Alex, and Robert. Really appreciate their time. So please check out their links in the show notes, follow them, and take a look at their work. You can find the show notes on your favorite podcasting platform or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and driving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know what you think, especially if you liked a particular guest, you'd like me to chat to them again, or pull up your favorite podcast app, leave a rating, review, or subscribe. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will discuss something else. We don't know what. I'm chatting to the founder and MD of Sharper B2B Marketing, Russ Powell. And as you heard, Robert Rose will be back in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. 
Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health marketers called The Boost. Steve, tell listeners what you cover on the show. The Boost is our podcast, and the tagline is conversations with people promoting mental health, and that's what it is. So it's marketers, company executives, therapists, and mental health advocates talking about what they're doing to move this industry and this important thing called mental health forward. Amazing. And where can people subscribe? I'm big on LinkedIn, so you can find us there, just uh, slash Steve Turney, or you can find the show at marketingpodcasts.net or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.